Hear these words again from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. God, thank you for providing your word for us to study and learn from. May we take time to pause and hear a word from you this morning in the midst of our busy and chaotic lives. Amen. You may be seated. Do you ever get a song stuck in your head? I do. And I'm not sure whether it's my, because I'm my father's daughter or because I work with children every week. But nonetheless, I constantly have a song running through my head. And while I'd like to say it's often a good hymn like Be Thou My Vision or Come Thou, my Fa- Come Thou Fount, um, if I'm honest, it's usually whatever the kids are singing these days. So last summer, in addition to Vacation Bible School songs, I constantly had songs of Frozen just running through my head. <laughs> and this summer, in addition, to, in addition to Vacation Bible School songs, I've got songs of Moana constantly running through my head. Usually I don't mind having a song stuck in my head. I can sing it as I work, as I shop, as I drive, um, and it's not very bad. But every now and then, an annoying song gets stuck in my head. And those days, not so fun. Um, One song that really bugs me when it gets stuck in my head is the Hokey Pokey. You know how it goes, you put your right arm in, you put your right arm out, you put your right arm in, and you shake it all about. You do the Hokey Pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. You're welcome. You will now have that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day. (laughs) But if you've ever done the hokey pokey with a group of children, um, it's quite an interesting experience. As you stand in a circle of children demonstrating the shaking of your left elbow, all the children's eyes are glued on you as you shake your elbow and they too shake their elbows. But then comes the climax of the song, and I think you know the part I'm talking about. You put your whole self in, you put your whole self out, you put your whole self in, and you... Now I'm not going to shake it all about up here on the platform at First Baptist Waco. I am smarter than that. But just as you all wondered if I was willing to go all in and shake it all about, the same is true in a group of children. Their eyes focus on the adults in the room to see if they're willing to go all in and shake it all about. And when they see their leaders shaking it all about and going all in, a smile creeps across their face as they too go all in, shaking it all about. And isn't this the image that we see in our text from Deuteronomy today? We see a command for parents and other adults in the community to be all in, as they demonstrate being all in for the children. But this all in of our text today is so much more important and so much more consequential than a silly little dance song. You may remember that these words come from the mouth of Moses after he gives the Ten Commandments to the people. It's at a time when the people are preparing to enter the promised land um, as they cross the Jordan River and occupy that land that the Lord has promised them. But Moses recognizes a major threat among the Israelites. It's not the immediate threat of the inhabitants um, or even the immediate threat of defeating the inhabitants of the land. But this threat is a long, um, prolonged threat that will plague the Israelites for many, many years to come. It's the temptation to forget the law that Moses had just given. It's the threat of forgetting the God who led them through the Exodus. So God commands Moses 
to teach these commands to the people so that they will observe it once they enter the promised land. This text emphasizes the nurturing preparation that must take place in order to ensure that God's people never forget what he's done for them. This text has come to be known as the Shema because the first word in Hebrew, Shema, is the Hebrew word for hear. So as the first verse reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. This verse emphasizes the fundamental truth that Israel's religion was to be founded upon. First of all, Yahweh is one. This distinction separates the Israelite religion as monotheistic in comparison to the polytheism of the Canaanite religion. But Yahweh alone refers to the fact that Yahweh is also unique and separate from all other gods. The rest of this passage looks to the fundamental duty that the Israelite people were to undertake in response to this confession. Now, whereas the Israelites stood on the other side of the Exodus, we stand on the other side of Easter. We stand on the other side of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And as these commands issued to the Israelite people are issued to us, um, we may, may we never forget all that God has done for us. We are called to teach the faith by living a life fully devoted to God. Let's look at the first command in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Some translations translate that last part of the verse as strength instead of might. And this is one of the most popular verses in the Old Testament and perhaps the most well-known book verse from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, in the blue cycle of Texas Bible Drill, Deuteronomy 6.5 is a memory verse. And this verse is a good verse, an important verse. This summer, Caroline Durham was our summer ministries intern. Um, and on Wednesday night, she did a great job working with our children. She was focusing on love, and she was teaching the children ways they can love God and ways they can show God's love to others. But every time she started a lesson, she had to explain that we weren't talking about mushy-gushy, lovey-dovey love. And we were talking about a different kind of love. Because oftentimes, when we hear words like love and heart in the same sentence um, as in this verse, we think about that romantic love or emotional love. However, in the Israelites' time, as we see through various Old Testament passages, um, the heart was considered the seat of one's decision-making or volition. So this verse is commanding us to love God with more than just our, just our emotions. We are called to love God with all of our decisions. As the verse continues, the soul is mentioned. Now, in Hebrew, the word for soul is used to denote, used to denote life, self, and person. So in this case, we, are, we see that we are to love God with more than just our interior and private spiritual devotion. We are to love God with all of our very lives. Finally, this verse tells us we are to love God with all of our strength. And this idea emphasizes the effort that we put into loving God. More than just physically, but economically and socially, we are to love God with all of our effort and all of our resources. Thus, through this verse, we see that loving God is a decision of our will that involves all of our being and is to be carried out without limitation and without reservation. If you've never seen the movie Seven Pounds, I'm gonna warn you, I'm gonna ruin it for you. Um, the movie came out in 2008 and in it, Ben Thomas, played by Will Smith, is on a mission of redemption. You see, two years prior to the storyline in the film, 
Ben had been carelessly texting while driving and had caused a multi-car car crash which killed seven people, including his fiance. Ben's conscious decision to seek atonement is his driving force throughout the entire movie. He decides to save the lives of seven good people by donating vital organs through a planned suicide. He donates part of his liver to a social worker named Holly. He gives one of his kidneys to a junior hockey coach named George. He donates bone marrow for a young boy named Nicholas. He gives part of his lung to his brother Michael. And after his death, his eyes go to a blind man named Ezra, while his heart goes to a woman named Emily Posa. But giving of his physical self was not all that Ben undertook for this redemption mission. He gave all of his emotional and relational self, too, as he fell in love with Emily Posa. In the midst of the movie, he also moves out of his beachfront cottage and, and gives the deed to a lady named Connie and her children as they're fleeing from an abusive boyfriend. You see, when Ben decided to take this, seek this, this mission of redemption in his life, he gave all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He gave all of his being and all of his resources to this mission without reservation. In our relationship with God, what does giving our all look like? In the midst of busy lives, parenthood, or even service in our local congregation and community, have we turned to only giving a part of ourselves to God? Or are we fully living out a devoted relationship with God each and every day? If I'm honest, I think we all fall short of that call. There are times when our conversations don't reflect those of people committed to Christ, or when we talk down about others in order to raise ourselves up, or when we talk about things that are not true, honorable, pure, right, lovely, admirable, excellent, or worthy of praise. There are times when we devote our resources to causes other than the kingdom of God, when we spend money on ourselves other than considering the church's needs or the needs of our neighbors. We are called to use all of our lives and all of our resources to further the kingdom. Our love for God should permeate our very lives, and our all-in love for God should spill out onto those we encounter each and every day. Have we consciously decided that this all-in faith is something we will continuously pursue? As the passage continues, um, we begin to see that in order for the divine love of God to be both real and effective in, hum in human society, this love of God must be reciprocated by human actions. So in verses 6 and 7 we read, Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Keep these words that I am commanding you in your heart and teach them to your children. Now, some versions of that translate the last part a little differently. They may say, make sure your children learn them, or they may say, teach them diligently to your children, or they may even say, impress them upon your children. With whichever translation we go with, um, I think it's important to notice that it's a command. After explaining that the people need to keep God's word in their heart, Moses commands the people to impress these commands on their children. One of my favorite things to see at FBC Waco is a parent in church with their young children. I tend to sit over in this section over here, and typically we have Kara and her parents sitting in our section. Um, and it's not uncommon to see little Kara sitting between Josh and Taylor as they point out the words to the hymn, or they motion for her to clasp her hands in prayer, um, or they point out the scripture reading in the Bible or in the bulletin. Um, and each Sunday, and I'm sure every other day of the week, Josh and Taylor take time to teach Kara about our faith, how we worship God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful sight to see. But 
Some of you, like me, don't have children. And if I'm being honest, when I'm reading the Bible, I have a tendency to skim over passages of scripture that I think, oh, that doesn't pertain to me. But as Moses stood before the people of Israel, the entire community was listening to these words. Surely there were Israelites among the crowd who didn't have young children. Israelites whose children were grown. Israelites who couldn't conceive and Israelites who would never produce offspring of their own. Yet, the community as a whole is still called to impress these commands on the children of the community. While yes, parents were being specifically called out by this command, every single member of the Israelite community was called to impress the faith on the next generation. I want to share a story with you about a friend of mine named Megan Stanley. Megan is a year younger than me, and we grew up going to church together in North Carolina. Um, Megan's family and my family, they've always been pretty close. Um, our families and a couple other families have hung out at holidays, um, so New Year's Eve, Super Bowl, um, Christmas. To this day, we still spend Christmas Eve together around a table of finger foods. Um, and there was one day, one time in 2008 that we went on a big cruise together um, when all the kids of the family ranged from 5 to 18. Um, and so our families have been really close, and we've been friends. Um, but our families were not just friends. Our families were a support network for one another and for each other's children. When I asked Megan recently who the most significant adults in her faith development as a young child, youth, and adult were, she mentioned four moms, other than her own, that went on that cruise with us in 2008. She mentioned my mom, she mentioned Miss Karen Allen, she mentioned Miss Marianne Potts, and she mentioned Miss Lori Holly. But her list wasn't just limited to family friends. She also mentioned Miss Karen Bell. Ms. Karen Bell was her D-Teams leader uh, during high school. D-Teams was a program that we did. They were called discipleship teams. Um, and we met after the youth worship time, and it was a small group discussion time. But we divided by um, age and gender. Our discussions mainly reflected upon the message from the worship time and how we as youth could be living out our faith. And while Megan and I were in high school, Ms. Karen was considered a, a young adult. Uh, she didn't have any children of her own, uh, but she still volunteered to serve in the youth ministry each week in a D-Teams group. Megan and the other girls in her grade connected with Karen, and Megan explains that she felt comfortable sharing with Karen about her life as a teenager and was confident in the advice that Karen gave. In this discussion with Megan, Megan also mentioned a lady by the name of Sue Glover. Now, Sue has a daughter that is several years older than both Megan and I. But Sue has always been one to invest in the youth and the young adults of our home church. She was a Bible study leader and frequent chaperone, but more often than that, she would schedule random coffee dates with different, with different kids to just get to know what was going on in their life. She'd go to their sporting events and support them as they played. You see, Megan's spiritual development was not a result of just her parents or just the ministers at our home church. She was formed spiritually by all the people of the church that she encountered both inside the church doors and outside the church walls. Individuals who served in the children's and youth ministries to individuals who were simply family friends and were willing to invest and care about Megan throughout her life. When talking with Megan about the influence of these people and the influence of her church family, she said, overall, I feel like just everyone, everyone went above and beyond to support me, pray for me, and love me, even up to today. Even though our home church was a big church, the people there know who you are, and they speak to you, which is amazing. There are some old people that still come up to me today and say they remember keeping me in ascended session. I have no idea who they are, but it's great. Megan is getting married next month, and I really wish I was going to be there. 
But even if I can't make it, I can guarantee you that most of those people Megan named as spiritual guides in her life, they'll be there. My mom will be there. Miss Karen will be there. Miss Marianne will be there. Miss Loriali will be there. Sue Glover will be there. Um, and Karen Bell will be there. These ladies and countless other men and women of our home church have not stopped loving and caring about Megan um, or, giving, or living out their faith in a way that Megan could see. There's a pretty staggering statistic that 40 to 50% of students who have attended church for their whole lives, when they go to college, they'll leave the faith. In their book, Sticky Faith, doctors Kara Powell and Chap Clark set out to figure out why faith is not sticking in the young people of today. You see, doctors Powell and Clark discovered something in their 21st century research that Moses revealed to the Israelites many, many years ago. Children who are raised by an entire faith community, not just their parents and perhaps a teacher or friend, but an entire faith community that is actively seeking to impress their faith on the hearts of the children. These children keep and remember their faith. But how do we go about actively impressing the faith on the hearts of children? Moses hasn't forgotten that part either. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It seems that this all-in love for God is expected to emanate throughout the Israelites' entire lives. They are called to remember the commands at all times. Their faith should be a topic of conversation consistently, as every member of the community is called to be a teacher. This all-in faith must permeate every sphere and every aspect of their lives, from the time they rise in the morning to the time they go to bed at night. Now, the last two verses of this passage about binding the commandments, they've been understood both literally and metaphorically throughout the years. In Orthodox Jewish tradition, these verses are understood very literally. You may have seen Orthodox Jewish men begin their morning and evening prayers by binding um, phylacteries, leather, little, leather, little leather boxes, um, to their left hands and to their foreheads um, by using a long leather strap that's tied in knots. These phylacteries contain manuscripts with the words of this passage and several other Old Testament passages as they literally bind these commands to their heads as they, as they complete their morning and evening prayers. You may have also seen little containers on doorposts called mezuzahs, which contain the texts of this passage inside them, as people have literally written the commands on their doorposts of their house. Now, whether we take these commands uh, to bind them as, as a sign, literally or metaphorically, this verse emphasizes that an individual person, his or her home, and his or her community were designed, were de distinguished to be part of those who love and follow God. For instance, you can, if you go to Richland Mall, you can recognize different stores based on their logos. You can recognize a shopping nurse based on the scrubs that she's wearing. You can recognize a group of teenagers by the time they arrive and the way they behave. You can recognize a cashier by the name badge they wear. When someone looks at you, your home, and your community, can they tell that you're a follower of Christ? When a guest, a neighbor, or a friend walks into your home, is there evidence of your faith in Scripture? 
Do your discussions and conversations with and overheard by others reveal your all-in love for God? Are we discussing our life of faith with our children, youth, and others in our community openly, honestly, and with vulnerability? Do our actions in the grocery store, on I-35, at sporting events, or simply walking about reflect the actions of one with all-in faith? Are we living out this all-in faith in such a way that others know that we are indeed all-in? I pray that we are. As I close, I'm gonna quote the great C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia. In the silver chair, Aslan is talking with Jill as he is encouraging her to remember the important signs that will guide her on her quest to rescue Prince Rillian. And he says, but first, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on this mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on this mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs that you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. As we walk away from this text today, as we walk away from the clarity of this place, and we walk into the thickness of the world around us, the chaotic, busy, and messy world full of family activities, friend activities, leadership activities, work responsibilities, and more. May we remember our faith. May we remember all that God has done for us. And may we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, souls, and strength. And may we be all in, shaking our faith all about. Because that, my friends, is what it's all about. Let's pray. God, thank you for the things that you have done for each of us individually and for us as a congregation. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead on the third day. Thank you for giving us hope that one day you will return again. May we be people who remember all that you have done for us and live our lives in such a way that our love for you and our faith in you emanates and influences the people, youth, and children around us. May we be people of all-in faith, fully devoted to loving you and worshiping you, and willing and consistently sharing your love with those through our words, actions, behaviors, and thoughts. Amen. As we stand to sing our closing hymn, our pastor Matt will be down front if you have a decision um, that you've made that you want to share with our pastor or our church family. Let's stand and sing.